If you're looking for a way to help birds or take your support to the next level, this May, I would love for you to join the Birds Canada Birdathon. It's easy to participate in and helps raise thousands of dollars for bird conservation. Learn more at birdscanada.org slash birdathon. Now let's get to the episode. You're listening to the Warblers Birds Canada podcast. I'm Andrea Gress. Join me and others as we travel on common flight paths with our guests, gaining insights and inspiration from the world of birds and bird conservation in Canada. Hey, Warblers. Uh, Welcome back to another episode. Today, it's going to be a short little follow-up from our COP15 episode that we released back in early December. You might remember we chatted with President and CEO of Birds Canada, Patrick Nadeau. Uh, He helped us figure out what positive commitments might come out of COP15 for protecting biodiversity and, of course, for protecting birds. So it's now mid-December when I'm recording this, and COP15 has only just, just wrapped up in Montreal. So there's still lots of news coming out, but I wanted to catch up with Patrick, uh, see what the big outcomes are from the conference, while it's still fresh on our minds before we all dash off to our winter holidays. So welcome back, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, Is your brain all muddled? I know the talks really just wrapped up in the wee hours of Monday morning. You must be feeling tired. It was an intense experience, I have to say. I'm not going to lie, I didn't make it till 3.30 in the morning when the gavel came down, but I have colleagues who did, so uh, hats off to them. Yeah, a lot of work done by the sounds of things. So how was the experience overall? Like, what's what's the vibe you're coming out of it with? Well, you know, I have to say it was really, uh, it was my first COP, and one of the things I, I'm really, I was really energized about was the fact that, look, there were literally thousands of people, nature lovers, nature professionals, um, getting together in one space. So it was really energizing to see folks from the Canadian NGO community, for one, there was a huge showing from uh, the Canadian NGO community, but also um, international conservationists and lots of members of the bird life family all under the same roof and really pushing for the same objectives. I found that to be really energizing. I mean, there's thousands of us uh, nature nerds out there. So one of the highlights for me was uh, when we um, were out in the streets, several thousand of us marching and asking our governments for a good deal. You know, I walked alongside Joseph, my counterpart from Nigeria, and I think uh, that was like 10 degrees below. So Joseph was a was a sport, but uh, it was interesting to see all that happening uh, in Canadian winter. For sure. Yeah, kind of representing what, what we're all about. Uh, so let's dive right in. What are the major outcomes that were announced as a result of COP15? So there's obviously a ton. I mean, it's a huge agreement. Um, I have to say my overall feeling, having now uh, had a time to digest it, I think it's not even a half uh, glass half full situation. I have to say the glass is mostly full. Like, I think we actually landed on a good deal here for nature, which is really exciting. Um, and I think if governments of the world were to actually implement what's written in that framework, that's going forward going to be called the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. Like if we actually do what it says in there, 2030 will be a very different place for nature uh, in the world in, in a good way. So I actually think we managed to land on a consensus document that's quite ambitious. So that's great news. So what actually is in there? Well, first of all, the world has basically agreed to halt and reverse biodiversity loss. That's that's massive. Mm-hmm. And there's 23 targets um, 
that come to sort of exemplify how we're going to do that. The big headline target is this whole 30 by 30 that many have heard about. So this commitment to protect 30% of lands and waters of particular importance to biodiversity by 2030. Now, that's a, a target that Canada and many other countries had been championing all along, but it wasn't clear that that was actually going to make its way to the final agreement. So the fact that that survived and that's still in there as now a global commitment is a huge, huge deal. And we have a long ways to go as a global community to hit those targets. And I think the other takeaway for me really has to do with the global acknowledgement now that Indigenous peoples have to be central to conservation efforts and that all the parties to the convention have to ensure sort of the full, equitable, inclusive participation of Indigenous peoples. I think that came through loud and clear across the entire argument, and that's a huge win. Yeah, I, I love that uh, we're talking 2032 and not, you know, 2050, 2080. Like we're talking pretty much now where we want action now. And I think that's really great. Are there any outcomes that will have a really specific impact here in Canada? And and like, how do things change if, you know, governments shift with elections? Do those kinds of political changes impact the progress that we're making here? That's a good question, Andrea. There's a couple of things. For one, um, now that there's a global framework, Canada needs to adopt its national strategy domestically. And what's really interesting, during COP15, Minister Gilbo actually announced that Canada was going to take, take it a step further, and we are actually going to um, adopt legislation, so an accountability act for the government to hold itself accountable uh, to these biodiversity objectives. So that's a huge deal. We're going to make this into a law, and that's going above and beyond um, what what the framework itself says that nations have to do. The Canadian government did something similar on the climate file. So it's really interesting to see that legislation is now going to take shape. And certainly, I mean, we're going to work to try to influence what's in that legislation. So that was really interesting in, in terms of having something that kind of survives political changes and political strikes. Um, we're going to have a law around this stuff now in Canada, which awesome. is which is really exciting. Um, and I think the other thing, too, in terms of having a direct impact, for sure, I mean, all these targets now need to be implemented in Canada. But the fact that this was happening in Montreal meant that a bunch of Canadian provinces and territories and the Canadian government as well actually used the opportunity to make some announcements domestically. And there was, I have to say, quite an avalanche of positive news over two weeks. And that was really energizing as well. I mean, um, look, just to give you a sampling of what was announced by governments, I mean, the Canadian government announced major new funding envelopes for uh, international biodiversity finance. That might have some positive implications for uh, overwintering bird habitats, for example. Mm -hmm. no, new Brunswick and Nova Scotia governments announced a whole suite of new protected areas in their provinces. I mean, awesome. you know, $800 million were announced by the federal government in support of Indigenous-led conservation. So all these kind of side announcements, if you will, that happened in no small part because this whole convention was happening in Montreal. So the spotlight was on the governments and I think they actually delivered. Sweet. On that, that last point about the $800 million to support Indigenous-led conservation, can you talk a bit more about the significance of that federal funding? Yeah, it's massive. And to be honest, it's only a part of the commitments that they made towards Indigenous conservation. So this $800 million specifically 
uh, is going to be um, using this vehicle that they call Project Finance for Permanence. I don't have much time to get into the details, but suffice to say that it's actually quite, I would say, innovative when you look at it from a global scale. And these are going to allow for, you know, upwards of 1 million square kilometers, like a massive area to be conserved for the long haul. That's the, that's the whole key word here is permanence, right? And directly under indigenous leadership. So that's a huge deal. Um, there are specific agreements that were announced during the convention. So agreements in principle or moving the ball forward on indigenous protected conserved areas in Manitoba and Northwest Territories. Um, and actually, I had the great pleasure of attending an event where the world's first network of indigenous guardians was formally launched. And so um, that's really exciting to see that Canada now has this, this huge burgeoning network of indigenous guardians that are out there on the land doing conservation and doing monitoring. So really exciting times. And I think, you know, on our own pathway to 2030, clearly indigenous peoples uh, are front and center to helping us reach all these objectives. That's sweet. That's awesome to hear. A lot of positive news. Do you have any concerns, though, or any, any red flags about the wording in the final agreement? Well, I mean, these things are always a compromise, right? And I mean, uh, props to the presidency and to Canada's role. I mean, you basically need to get all the countries of the world to come to a consensus agreement. So in some respects, it's an imperfect agreement and not everyone is absolutely thrilled. And that's to be expected. For me, though, really what it comes down to is implementation, right? And so we actually we've set a solid floor for ourselves. But if we look at our track record, including as, as Canada, like, look, we've you know, the previous iteration of this was the Aichi targets. We didn't meet a single one. So it's not like we have a glowing track record of actually reaching these targets, right? So that's why it's all it's all about implementation at the end of the day. And we're going to have to really work hard at Birds Canada and our colleagues as well to actually now hold the government accountable and to make sure that these these targets are being implemented. So it's really like, I think we've gotten the ambition we wanted. And so now it's like boots on the ground. Let's make this happen. And like, like you said, Andrea, 2030 is like tomorrow morning. We need to get going. Yeah, we uh, at Birds Canada can work to hold them accountable. Our, everybody in Canada, just whoever you are, you can be part of holding our governments accountable. Um, Absolutely. So kind of wrapping up, do you think the world's birds and biodiversity are in a better place now than they were before COP15? Honestly, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to stick to optimism. And I, I think I should go back and listen to the first episode when you and I <laughs> chatted pre-COP. I actually think that that kind of panned out. Like, I, if I recall, I was pretty optimistic. And, yeah. and <laughs> turns out we did land a deal that I think will be directly good for birds in so many ways. For birds' habitat, um, for the threats that harm birds, I think there's going to be some significant reduction of the risk uh, to birds. Um, and so there's, yes, to answer your question, I think there is cause for optimism. And we just need to see it through at this point. And I am happy to uh, lead one of the charges to do that here at Birds Canada. Uh, it sounds like overall it's been positive and let's just keep the momentum going, hey? Absolutely. For the birds. The Warblers is produced by Jody Allaire, Ruth Friendship Keller, Kate Dogleash, and Andrea Gress. This episode was edited by Greg McLaughlin and engineered by Katie Zhang with music by Jose Mora and art by Alex Nichol. Until next time, keep birding. <laughs>